Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and we are live with Peter Del Tondo today. So I'm so excited. He's a good friend of mine, but he has a great story and he's been doing a lot of different things where um, and a lot of project management and a lot of encouraging and there's a lot of other things that go in when you start taking on more of those management roles or creative director or art director kind of positions. So we're going to talk about some of that today and we're also going to talk about comparison and how no matter how old we are or how maybe good we are or how good we don't think we are, we still maybe compare ourselves to other people and probably not the best um, thing for us to do. And we're going to talk about that today. So Peter, thank you for coming on the show. I'm always excited to talk to you. So welcome Thanks back. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So give it, So if people don't know who you are or what you've done, if you could just give them a little bit of the backstory um, of how you kind of came to design and then you're actually working remotely. You live in California, um, but you work for a company that has a lot of remote workers. And I kind of want to talk just, and we're going to, the next question goes through your career um, kind of background or so you can kind of mesh both of those together if you want. But if you want to talk about, um, your story a little bit of how you came. I mean, you, you went to college at West Point for the first year, which is not usually thought of as a big design school. No, no, not really. Um, yeah, you know, I started my career like most designers and decided to join the Army, um, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a great experience. I ended up getting injured and came back home. And, um, you know, it was one of the, the best things that ever ended up happening to me, even though I was super depressed about it at the time. Um, but yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, making websites. I used to play a lot of video games. So Counter-Strike, World of Warcraft, things like that. And the groups of people I played with, we all needed websites. And so I was the guy that would design the site, develop it out and, uh, eventually started my own hosting company. I did like web hosting and, uh, video game server hosting when I was in high school because I wasn't allowed to have a job. So that's how I had fun many. Um, and, uh, you know, started that entrepreneurship really early. And, uh, you know, over the years, I, I always looked at design as a hobby. I didn't really look at it as a career. And when I came back uh, from my injury from, from West Point, uh, I went right back to it. I started freelancing and I was building websites for people. And I was working uh, as a manager at gym facilities and just kind of realized like, hey, you know what, I, I should probably... I enjoy this. I should make this a full-time thing. And uh, so I went to design school and, you know, went through the whole process and uh, started my career that way. And so I started working uh, uh, initially in, uh, in a church. And so we did every possible kind of graphics uh, imaginable. You know, we did print, we did web, we did um, a lot of the large format pr uh, printing stuff. And, and it was a great experience to get that, like, I probably learned the most there than any job I've ever been at because we just, we did everything. And, you know, we had four other church satellite campuses. So we were doing a ton of work uh, across like four really talented people. And so it was, it was great for me to be a sponge and just learn from everybody. Right. Um, and uh, I ended up losing my job, which at the time sucked. And it ended up being again, one of the best things to happen uh, because it allowed me to, kind of have to just jump into the deep end and either sink or swim. And I ended up starting my own business. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of looked at it like I loved that job mm -hmm. so much. I didn't want to go 
somewhere else and, and like kind of hate my life. And so I, I went into business for myself and uh, along that road, I know we've talked about it a couple times and I've talked about it at CS, so I won't go into too much detail, but that's, that's where I met Mike Jones and that's where I got connected with Creative South and everything. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a great way to kick off my freelance career and uh, to work with Mike and, and Rob and Lenny and those guys uh, for several years on my own. And then, you know, jump back into the agency world and started, um, you know, kind of taking the skills that I learned, um, all throughout my life and kind of career to start leading design teams and uh, work along some really talented people. And that's, that's kind of where things have progressed to where I'm at now. So one of the questions I asked you that I'm just interested in, cause I guess I'm interested in what kind of builds us, what makes us as a person. And I said, I know you played sports, you played golf. You actually got a golf scholarship to uh, West Point um, cause they're so known for their golfing. I'm Super sure. known for golfing. Yeah. Um, but you got this golf scholarship, right? But so you were always part of a team. And I was like, well, you know, really like the role you have and the role I've seen with you, because we are both on the creative South team. Um, you play this role as, um, somebody very dependable, somebody who is always going to say what they're going to do. And then you get things done. So it may, you're, and you seem like you're okay at delegation. Like you're not going to just take it all on yourself. You're going to like find the right person. So I asked you, I was like, wait, did you play sports as a kid? And you said, yes. Um, and I was like, well, were you always a leader on your team? And now granted, everybody doesn't always have to play sports. I mean, I play sports and I dance or whatever, but I think some people are more, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be sports. Like say you did something with gaming, but it was like, you were like the ringleader of your friends doing that. So I, I think some of that sort of plays into figuring out what your strengths are. And it doesn't mean that if you weren't the lead, leader or the ringleader of your friends, it doesn't mean that you're not a leader or that you don't have any strengths. It just means that that might not be one of your um, superpowers. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so talk a little bit about that maybe. And cause I normally, you know, going into the military is now there are definitely designers I know and love that are from the military. And I actually think that's such a neat place. So just, I guess, talk a little bit about being a leader because I think that even when it was just like you, Mike and um, Rob, you were kind of taking that leadership and like making sure people, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we when we used to work together, I was kind of like the unofficial project manager on stuff. Right. And I think um, for me, I think it's just been learning experiences from um, just like running your own company or something or, or, or being a freelancer. You learn the things that you should do and shouldn't do. I think I just try to, you know, learn and absorb from people uh, on different leadership techniques and, and whatnot. And I think West Point was a great place for me to learn a lot of that and granted I was only there for a very short period of time but uh, I think I told you before one of my um, cadre like he was the calm collect and you know kind of guy and but like if you screwed up or if our squad messed up man he didn't have to yell at us he just had to say he was disappointed and we were like heartbroken about it and then uh, I remember another one who just yelled and screamed and we tuned him out like nothing he said was important because all he did was yell at us. And, and that was his only way of motivation. And, and you know, I think with um, management and team leading, you really have to find and discover what people's like 
like the love languages, everyone you have to talk to differently on your team. There's certain people that I can say, hey, this just isn't any good and we need to scrap this and start over and they're not hurt by it and like we just move on. And then there's other people where, you know, you might have to learn to say things like, did you try this color instead of that color? And that's really saying this color is terrible and we should use something else. But how you communicate with people is very important and very different. And I think it's what will lead to either people respecting and following you um, or resenting you and, and not looking to do that. And, and I think one thing that um, we do really well at Masio, um, not just my, myself, but like a whole team and, and the owners is that we, everyone has that like leadership, uh, I don't know, it's not a meme, but like the, uh, if you're gonna be the leader, you need to be the person that knocks down the door and goes in first. And like, I feel like we have that approach here. Everybody on the team, owners included, are still active in the design or development process. And so we're all involved and it's not just kind of worker drones going out and doing things. And because of it, there's a different level of respect and admiration for everybody. And I think that makes us as a team a lot stronger. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about you working remotely. So you were, you were kind of doing a thing with, um, still remotely with like Rob and Mike and then mm-hmm. got a job at an agency in um, California. And yep. then, and that kind of gave you a taste for maybe some of the stuff that you're doing here, but it was a bigger agency than what Masio is, right? Right. And so sometimes I think it's good. We don't always know. We don't know what our right role is or if it's going to be the right fit, but I think it's good that you kind of tried some things and you were succeeding there, but it maybe it just wasn't the right fit at the right time for you or whatever. Yeah. You were there for like a year, maybe, right? Yeah. I was there for a little bit under a year. Um, You know, I kind of made the decision to go back into the agency space or, you know, because I looked at it like myself as, as a younger freelancer, there's only so much work I could do with the companies that I wanted to work with. And I knew I needed to, you know, initially jump in and work with, with somebody or, you know, with a, a company or agency that was doing work with, you know, some really rad folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, after a year, I just, I knew that that place was no longer the right fit for me. And um, I made a really scary decision of leaving a secure job, uh, while I was on paternity leave. Uh, so my daughter had just been born and I remember she was t- two weeks old and I got the offer letter from Masio and my wife and I were sitting there and just kind of unsure of what to do because anything new is always scary and unknown. And I mean, I talked to like past employees of Masio. I called everybody I knew that knows Corey and Jarrett, like vetted them out. Um, and I just remember my wife asking me, she said, if, if we weren't part of this picture, what decision would you be making? And I said, I would have already signed the letter. And like that, that kind of gut reaction, we knew that this was going to be the right place to, um, you know, grow and do new exciting things that I was really passionate about and you know, work with folks that I think put the care and quality of our clients above all else. And that was something that I was really, really, really desiring, um, wanted to be a part of. So, it was so really, really cool. so really it was about how the clients were treated or, and maybe how the people in the company as well. But but that, right. that was a really important part. And so one thing with Masio um, that I think can be interesting, it's really about vetting where you're going to work and seeing. But again, sometimes in the beginning, you don't always know if this is going to be a right fit because you didn't take the time to kind of research or, or really talk to a lot of the people that were there. Yeah. So, 
So that was a, that's a really good tip for people who are kind of looking at places. So Masi is smaller, smaller company, but they do great work, big work. So I put in the link. It's M-O-S-S-I-O dot C-O um, for anybody listening on iTunes. Um, so anyway, um, you go to Masio, but they actually live where? Um, so we're we're all spread out. Uh, we've got three, four team members uh, out in Florida, um, split between like the Tampa, Dade City, and Sarasota area. Uh, we've got Jarrett, who I always make, I think he's in Houston, Texas. Um, and then I'm out here in California, and we do a lot of work with uh, Mike, too, so he's out in Columbus, Georgia. So we're we're all over, but it, it allows us to find the best possible people rather than just who we can find locally in you know, the local talent pool. And uh, I think because of it, that's a big part of why we put out a higher caliber of work and people that are really great of not just doing the work, but managing the client, uh, you know, and all the things that go with it. Like it makes my job a lot easier from a team management standpoint because everyone kind of takes care of themselves to some degree. So how, uh, so how do you, um, so a lot, a lot of people would love to work remotely. Um, there are some challenges with working remotely. Uh, how do you stay connected? Cause that seems to be one of the important things for you is to actually connect with, and you're not going to like fly to every client meeting. So how are you also right. staying connected to clients? So how are you staying connected internally? What do y'all use? And then, um, how are you also connecting with clients? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, a couple of things. I mean, for us as a team, first and foremost, uh, you know, we try to attend conferences and, and do like a yearly retreat together. Uh, so that's really great for us to get that like in-person FaceTime. Mm -hmm. We all flew out to Florida this year when the new office opened and mm -hmm. played some top golf and just hung out and had good food. Watched Mike. Did golf. you win? Uh, I don't know what happened, but um, I know Mike downed like four pounds of crab. It was absolutely unreal um and uh you know that that's great for us we use slack and uh, uh google hangouts to have communication you know within the team and uh we also use screen hero which lets us control each other's uh screens actually and like we can change a color or like bump something up uh you know two pixels and and it, it's the same kind of feeling and vibe as though somebody's over my shoulder and we're working together um, even though we're thousands of miles apart. So it's, it's really great. Um, and then, you know, for our clients, it, it always depends on like the scale of the project. We, we've definitely had instances where we'll do like a full Google design sprint and we'll fly out to their office and um, you know, send team members over and be out there for three or four days. Um, but, uh, you know, with all of our clients, we, we always do daily standups and weekly retros and, you know, we give them full transparent access to all of our project management tools. We talk to them in Slack and everything. So we're, we're really open, transparent, collaborative with our clients. And I mean, I think it's actually been a lot easier to do it that way than even working with local clients in the past because, I don't know, you, you end up like waiting a week for somebody's availability to schedule a meeting and you're kind right. of dead in the We don't do that. If I have a question, I just message the client and say, hey, can you talk for five minutes and answer this because I don't know the solution. And by doing that, I think we come up with better products for, for our clients in that process. All right. So that's great. So 
One, so there's lots of great fits for you at Masio, but you also really seem like a team person. So Jason Frostholm over there in the chat said, oh, he's whatever, Diane, he's in the California office. And so I think that um, you really, you work at a, a WeWork, right? Yep. Yeah. We just moved in uh, like a month and a half or so ago and it's been fantastic. So uh, it's a really cool, you know, co-working space here and it's nice for me to get out of the house and, you know, have somewhere to just kind of laser in and and do my work and meet a lot of cool folks. And it's been, it's been really fun. I think Eric Friedrichsen actually works at the headquarters of WeWork. So they've done a bunch of like graphics and stuff. And so um, co-working spaces, if you are a more people person like Peter, this kind of gives you that office feel without, um, uh, and it gives you another space to kind of like, hey, I'm closing this up, I'm going home. And I think that that's really been worked. You have worked in your main you know, room in your house for a long time as well. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter kicked me out of her bedroom when she turned like eight months old. And, uh, and then, yeah, I've been working like next to our bed for uh, a month or two. And so it's been great here. And actually Eric uh, flew out here. Um, I saw him about two weeks ago. Uh, they were putting up some, some murals here in the office. Uh, oh. So we got to hang out a little bit. That was fun. That is, that's awesome. So, I guess I'm just always trying to find ways for people, for freelancers or for people who are working remotely to kind of feel like they are part of a team. So you didn't know the people at Masio. What was what would be a step that you would say, because sometimes you have to type, kind of take it upon yourself to do some of those things. So you get the job with them. So what were some of the first steps that you did to really feel like you could show them that you were really part of their team and you wanted to be part of their team I didn't ask you this. This is not my questions. I just came to my head and I thought, oh, it might be good. Maybe. Yeah. So do you mean like once I, once I came on board and started or, right. or that? Right. Um, I, I think a big thing is, especially when you're remote and you're not always like hanging out next to each other all the time is just talk to people about things that don't relate to work. Um, you know, Jarrett and I, like, we go back and forth all the time about, like, little tech stuff, like uh, email programs. We're constantly, hey, did you see this one added this feature, this added that, and, you know, what's going on with your family right now? Those are the kind of things that create a bond between people. Mm -hmm. um, if all you're going to do is silo away and just do work, and that's all you talk about. That's not really, a, a, you know, the same kind of relationship, and you don't have those same friendships. Uh, so when I first came on board, I mean, I was just chatty Cathy and stuff. And, uh, you know, just kind of immerse yourself in the team and, and get involved in that stuff and get to know people on, on a deeper level. And uh, I think people will work harder for you and with you when you do things like that. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. Okay, so um, we kind of have gone through some of your transitions in your career, but you've actually gone from freelance to working at an agency to kind of freelance back and um doing side projects still maybe, but you're also still working at a, a smaller agency. But one of the differences between a agency and like at Masio is that actually you get to talk to the clients. And this is something that um, you realized was really important. Now, some people, this isn't one of their strengths, but especially for freelancers and for people who are doing side work, you have to be able to talk to clients because there isn't that art director or creative director. So, T um, take us through some of the things that you really do like and that you were telling me about an example of um, one of the other guys um, at Masio 
when he was meeting with the client wasn't as maybe confident as, as he could have been. So you've kind of had the team dad, you're the encourager as well. So can you kind of share that story and then talk about why it's so important to be able to talk to the client? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's where, you know, it's, it's my job to lift people up on the team and give them the support and encouragement, you know, to to have the confidence. And, and, you know, when people come on board, even for me, when I first came on, I've done, you know, hundreds of sales meetings and pitches and things like that. But it was a different process to like be directly in front of the client at all times. And, um, you know, I think as, as we've seen when people come on at first, it's like, we, we start checking internally, like, Hey, is this okay? Is this approved? And it's like, yes, we trust you. You're the expert at this. So you communicate that directly to the client. And I think that's where for us, I find that we complete our projects at a much faster pace than a typical agency would because we don't have that runaround or the game of telephone of like a project manager who's not a designer or not a developer and doesn't really know how to communicate that either back to us or back to the client. And you like circle around and it just kind of becomes a mess. And so we just eliminate that and everybody on our team interfaces directly with the client. And so every day we talk to them about what did we work on today? What did we work on yesterday? Um, you know, what are we doing moving forward? And if we have problems or blockers, like we just address it directly. And uh, I, I think the big thing for us is just, you know, making sure we communicate things to let the client know that we're always in control of the situation and that, um, you know, we're doing what's best for them. And, and uh, you know, if there's an issue, like we're going to find a solution to it right away and, and correct it. And because we meet with our clients every single day, things get fixed in a 24-hour period. Things well, don't go wrong for long. <laughs> and it's not, you're not going through a, a go-between. It's actually, with, you're meeting with the people who can actually make the fix right then. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it makes it really simple because, you know, we, we try to keep our meetings short with clients, but every once in a while, it, it's nice to be able to like, hang on, let me share my screen. Like, let's go through this and let's make sure I'm understanding it correctly. And, you know, that doesn't usually happen in the agency world. And, and I think that's where, I mean, a lot of times when I meet people and we're talking like the sales process, they're like, yeah, well, I worked with this agency and I had this really bad experience. It's like, I get it. Right. That's why we do things differently. And, you know, I think it gives us an edge. One of the things that I have in my um, questionnaire to people is, have you ever worked with another designer or design firm or whatever? And they, if, and I always say, if so, what was it like and where were their problems? Because I know that we need to be specific and I need to make sure that I address, I don't do those same things. And Matt Burt was like, oh yeah, in the chat, he said, that sounds like the life, like what you were talking about. All my projects yeah. go through multiple account people before they reach the client. And they probably go through multiple account people before they come back to Matt as mm -hmm. he's trying to design it. And so maybe it's something in our culture that we need to kind of, um, in the corporate culture, we need to kind of say, hey, we could do better, work faster, and feel like, so I feel like one advantage of going straight directly to the client is that they feel like you're part of their team instead of just an entity. And I feel like, yeah. and that's a huge, and, and I also feel like when you have a specific David Breyer, who I've had on my show a lot of times, he's a really smart guy. And I think he's one of Deborah's mentors. Um, he talks about, he doesn't do design by committee, which um, Jason Frostholm just said design yeah. by committee sucks. And it definitely does. But how do you, 
if you were trying, if you say you went to a corporate or a company or something and they were like, um, well, we are going to have Judy meet with you and then Judy's going to come back and do whatever. And really, you just need to meet with the whoever instead of going through Judy. What would you tell them? Like, how would you or how would Masio handle that so that we could, you know, kind of like a forget it's like they're going to zigzag across a bridge that could just be a straight bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we just always tell our clients that it's, it's really important that they have a person that is the one making the decisions. And, and we kind of had an issue with that um, recently where they were trying to delegate that out and it, nothing was kind of moving. And so, you know, um, project fell a little bit behind, not because of us. And, uh, you know, we had to have a sit down with them and be like, Hey, we, we need to do it this way. This is why our process works this way. And, you know, just show them the results of it. And, and luckily we were able to, um, you know, streamline things afterwards and get the project back on track really fast. Uh, but it, it's, it's super important. And I, I think it's, it's difficult for most for like, I guess, corporate America or, you know, other companies to necessarily implement that because one advantage for us, and it's, it's a, challenge it's a benefit and a, and a deficit of working remote but we don't hire junior level people because it's really hard to work with people that do require a little bit of hand-holding and, and everybody needs that start so there's nothing wrong with junior level designers or developers or anything but for us it's it's too much for a remote team and part of that is that we have senior level people who are used to interacting with clients and and whatnot, and they can handle those situations better. Um, I remember my last job, I had to really fight to even get my, you know, younger experienced team members just to sit with me in meetings so that they could watch and observe and learn how to talk. And I couldn't get approval for them to actually like start running this. So at the end, like my job was pretty much just being in every single meeting because I couldn't delegate to anyone else and, and that was really difficult so um, that's one thing I really like here because I still get to design stuff because I don't have to be in every right call yeah for sure so but you still have that encouragement so if you see somebody um, kind of struggling in a meeting where really they probably know the answer or even when they don't know the answer that's really important to say that to the client so that could be like an art director that's uh, at an agency who's not a designer um, may just say yeah we're gonna do this or whatever but then they really don't know how to do it or whatever mm -hmm. and so sometimes it's okay me and you had talked about this where it's okay you can say I don't know but I will figure it out and and move forward instead of kind of like trying to be who they want you to be I guess right yeah you don't always have to have an answer I think it's it's important to just listen to people and we had a client today that um, you know asked for some changes to like a donation page and it's kind of like okay I think I have an idea of what might work and I don't know if that's going to execute properly yet but I don't have to say yes I have the solution I know what I'm gonna do but I can just say you know what, I'm not sure yet. Let me play around with some things and get back to you on this. And, right. and I think that kind of response to people um, is, is what you need. It's genuine. When people try to BS it, it's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. And I think you lose that client trust when you do those things. And, and, you know, it's like that you're able to, like, you have confidence that you can figure it out, you know, <laughs> or you're going to find somebody who can. And right. so, but it's that. It's being confident and saying, hey, I'm not sure. Let me look into that, but I'll get you something, you know, yeah. whenever. 
And, and that's where too, I mean, we might be jumping ahead. I don't have the list and question list in front of me going ahead, but uh, you know, there's certain things too that you need to lean on your team for. And so it might just be that I've stared at this website or this app or product for way too long and I don't know what the heck to do on it right now, but I can put, you know, a shout out to everybody in, in Slack and, and jump on screen here with some people and be like, help me out with solutions. I have no idea what to do, but somebody else will. And then we can talk through an idea, keep ideating on it and then execute that. And that's where we come up with a lot of great solutions. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So what about, um, so I, I'm interested, this is not on my sheet cause I didn't know this, um, about hiring, um, senior level people, senior level, level designers that maybe don't have as much uh, web experience or something like that. Um, is that because they might have the confidence and the abilities, but they're still maybe newer to that area? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of wiggle room in stuff like that, but you know, ultimately we're looking for like senior level experience, but, but also from like a design shop standpoint, you know, not somebody that's like transitioning from illustration into UI UX, but like has a stronger foundation in that. Um, just because, you know, we we scope stuff out on like certain paces and things like that. And it's it's difficult if somebody's going to take maybe twice as long to do it as somebody else on the team or um, that, you know, one of us has to kind of pull off of a project to assist them through it a little bit. So, you know, we, we want to see that they've been through the ropes and that a little bit before. Uh, I try to, when people come to me and say like, Hey, I want to work at Masio, but I'm not there yet. Like I, I've actually saved a reply because I, I have this like big long list of things that they can and should do. And, um, you know, I say, go do these things and come back when you've got this to show us, uh, rather than, you know, bring them in when I know that they might struggle or not work out. So I try to set that for success before. But, it's, but like you are not super old, you know, like you're not like me. But, um, and Rob's was, you know, pretty young too. So it has nothing actually to do with age or actually right. experience, but, uh, or number of years. Like, it's not like everybody's like, you know, um, they've worked in that, uh, web for 10 or 15 years. It's actually right. about proving having a number of projects that have done these things and you've proven your track record, right? More, yeah. that's what you mean by senior level and not necessarily number of years. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I use that term loosely. I don't mean like you've had eight years experience. No, no, no. But, but I think that's what people think. And so I yeah. actually think what you just said was, hey, do these things and then come back is really important. And Jared over there said, old woman alert. Yeah, I'm 43 people. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I just had lunch with someone yesterday and they, they asked me like, what should I do to like, be more hireable and, and have my work out there. And I'm like, just have a really great portfolio. I need to load up your website or load up your deck and in five seconds have something that says, oh, wow. And then we're going to keep talking. But I mean, most of the applications I get, like I'm, I close it out and, and will reject it um, if, if I see that the quality is not there and that's most important. I don't read the resume until I go through the work and deem if that's what we're first but it's not just one you have to have you have to be a tr proven track record that you can not i'm not all are going to be huge wins but you have to have multiple wins over a, 
time period that's not like 30 years and you only had three wins, you know? Right. So it's something kind of like that. So I, I, I would think that any place that is sort of smaller but doing really good work and really focused is going to need something like that. And so just trying to get your book, your portfolio, your whatever out there. How important do you think is um, – do, do you think that they – and I don't know, I guess Jared, I could ask Jared this, I guess, but when they're hiring or when you're hiring now, how important is those soft skills, those people skills? Because it sounds like everybody's working with the clients at some point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really important. The The work is what's going to catch our attention and get us to have a conversation. But, uh, you know, we're going to jump on the call with you then afterwards and, and we need to see if it's a culture fit. Uh, you know, if we pick up that somebody has really nice work, but, you know, you turn down applicants just because we can tell they're super cocky and don't want to deal with that. And, you know, we don't, we don't have that kind of environment on our team. Uh, so you need to pick the people uh, for, you know, the culture fit, for their communication skills, and that's all stuff that we for. Right. Okay. All right, so we totally were like rolling all around, but I've made lots of notes. Um, so I think it's really it's really important. So that's and good stuff. So um, let's get on to some of the comparison. That was one of the things you talked about at Creative South that really was like I'd never thought about it before. And you know, I don't have kids. I mean, of course, I love my dog and my cats, but um, it's and I you really can't com you know compare and just give people a little bit of the story. Um, cause I thought it was such a good way to look at it. So, uh, let you take it away. Yeah. I probably should have pulled up my keynote to like reference it. Um, but, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, it's just, I, I think it's really easy for designers, uh, to look at other people and not admire the work, but almost become like jealous or feel defeated if their work doesn't match up to that level. And, you know, that's just, it's a really dangerous thing to do. It's, it's really important to be the best version of yourself and to focus on what you do and how you can grow and improve. And, you know, I, I always try to look at it. Um, Rob gave me the advice a couple of years ago, like look back at your work from 12 months ago. And if you look at it and kind of go like, that was gross, you're still moving in the right direction and, and you're improving. And so um, you want to see that kind of personal growth from yourself. Don't, don't look at other people's work and just say like, I'm never going to live up to that because it's such a dangerous mindset and it becomes like depressing and debilitating. And I, I kind of fought that the first year I went to creative self, I think four years ago. Um, at the time I, I really loved hand lettering I loved illustration and I, I wanted to take a stab at focusing on that. And uh, you know, without, it's not to say I couldn't have become really great at those, those skills, but with the amount of time I had or could dedicate to it, I wasn't getting there quickly. And so uh, I just felt really defeated and kind of went back to my roots of, hey, you know what? I'm really good at building websites. I'm good at leading teams. Uh, I love UI work. Let me go back to focusing on this. And that's what I'm best at and that's what I excel at. And now that's what makes me happiest. So that's that's try to where, where I try to live. So, but one thing I think is it is your strength is people, and that's why you're so good at UX UI because it, you're thinking about how the user is going to interact or how why this is going to be, and so I think that 
some people think, oh, I don't have any of these skills. You know, I don't, I don't do that. But really, you do. You just aren't putting them in design of those types of apps or websites mm -hmm. or whatever. You probably are doing them. You're just not analyzing them. And, and I feel like some people could get to the point of um, quicker, you know, the mm -hmm. point of showing, uh, having wins regularly and doing good design is if they just start analyzing some of the choices that they are making. And because I think that bridging that from being like a print designer to doing more web or UX UI stuff, I think when I teach UX UI, I talk about, um, and I've talked about this before, giving people change. Like when you go to McDonald's or wherever you shop for hamburgers, um, whatever fast food right these people don't really care they don't really care who you are they're not asking how you are and whatever right they just are like give me your money they give you their money your money back and they give you the the receipt and then they give you the dollar bills and then they give you the change but really if they cared about me it is freaking hard to push all the change in my little change purse and then wad up the you know whatever so what they should do is give me the change first it's inconvenient for them but it's about it should be about the customer change mm -hmm. first then the bills and the receipt or whatever um and i really do i really think that it's asking some of those questions about the user and how you vet who why it's important or you know what i mean yeah and i think a lot of that it it comes from experience um UIX is a little harder to, I think, dive into because mm -hmm. it's it's hard to find those clients if you've never done it before. And that's why right. I always tell people, go do a really cool case study and do it in depth to show your process. Um, because that's what's going to catch an agency or a company that's hiring you to be like, okay, he's never actually done this in practice, but you know, he, he or she shows the understanding of getting this. Um, but I, I love uh, Anton and Irene talk about it, and uh, I know she always says she gets like flame for it later. And that is that they don't do like a lot of UX research up front. It's it's really one of those like you know from doing this time and time again what the proven solution is, and you don't need to be spending months doing research and user studies and whatnot. Like it's, it's better to go in, build it quick, and then put it in front of people and learn. And, you know, we do that. Like, we'll wireframe something out or we'll design something out. Team goes through it and we test it. And then the client goes through it and we test it. And, I mean, I show everything to my wife. Like, she probably should be under NDA on some stuff, too. Like, we just, we, we go through and if she can't understand it, I have to think of a new solution for it because it should work in a way that anyone can pick it up and utilize the, um, use the product or the website. And it'd be intuitive. I mean, yeah. of how something works. But, you know, like, there's UX, UI on a newspaper. There, You know, used to be people who read newspapers or even any book, even any publication. UX, UI has been around. Like, you need people to understand what's important and what's not important or what's secondary and then be able to skim through to get to where what they needed to do. Um, yeah. Publication designers are great at this because they deal with a lot of information. So it's like if you're trying to bridge that gap, then maybe this is, it's time to do these case studies or something. Some people, I just feel like they get, feel like they're um, been in the industry too long and they can't um, make that step or make that leap or try something different. But it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, I also feel like 
I mean, I hope this at least. I'm not. I don't claim to be an illustrator, but I'm trying to be an illustrator. And I just feel like you know what? You just have to put your mind to it and and just try. And you can be, but it just takes practice. And maybe one of the things is that people don't want to put in the practice. I've already put in all these years. I don't want to have to start at the bottom. And maybe they don't, but there's no way to get to where they want to get to the top of that rung of that ladder if they don't start at the bottom. You can't just jump ladder to ladder. Yeah, I mean, with anything, like if I wanted to be a hand letterer, I would have to dive into that and practice and, you know, get immersed in it. And I, I want to give a shout out to uh, to Matt Wally, who's another part of like the CS group. Um, I remember coming from the airport shuttle uh, back from CS this year, and he was mentioning he wanted to get more into UI work and, and study that. And you know, he'd been more on the branding and illustration side. And I've been watching as he's been posting some stuff to, to Dribble. He went and took um, Matt D. Smith's uh, uh, like wireframe and, and illustration or like. He teaches you how to wireframe an illustrator and, and do a lot of the UX stuff. And it's been cool seeing what he's been coming up with and seeing how he's grown. Um, and that's the kind of like motivation and drive that I want to see from people that they go out and, you know, talk the talk and then start learning and playing around with those things because you can totally learn it. You just, you need to dive in and, and immerse yourself. And then you also have to show that you can do it. And we are a visual, so it is doing some exercises on your own and producing something to show so yeah and there's times when it's just like fun I mean I know some of the stuff I sent you like the the movie slides that's horrible you know from a UX standpoint like it's not necessarily practical but it was really fun and I had a blast doing it and so I'm not going to apologize for it but I wouldn't build it that way when it comes time to, to actually make the project Right. Well, I um, have been doing those little animations for the beginning of, or the, just the promo. You know, I have like 30 minutes. I need to get these in and out. Am I an animator? No. And we just hired an animator and he's like, do you want my real opinion? I said, I know what your real <laughs> is, your professional opinion. Like, I, But um, I want to know what I can do. I want to see good ones and then be able to do it. But I also want something that is is going to be fun to learn. And I think that that's where the... I don't know, the rubber meets the road. It's like, if you're going to put in that time and for you, hand lettering wasn't worth it, but you did learn other things. You were spending time on UX UI and Russ over there, Russ Pate said, user experience is product based discipline. A lot of people commonly associate it with web or app mm -hmm. development, but it isn't. It actually is a lot of things. How does this you, how is this going to be used? I would think um, industrial designers do a lot with user experience as well. Yeah, and Russ is somebody I want to give another shout out to Russ because he and I have been talking a ton um, over the last couple months, and you know he he was doing a lot more kind of general design and some web design, and really wanted to get into development. And he went and took this immersive four month uh, course at Yardhouse and came out, and now he's he's a you know developer engineer. Like that's that's the kind of thing that people like you can do that. You can pivot and change direction. Um, you just got to dive into it. Yeah, and yeah. he he was working 40 hours a week and then doing this on the side. And then, and he actually sacrificed going to creative South last year, yep. which we missed you. I missed you. Um, um, but I'm glad you'll be back next year, hopefully, but he got, he got a new job and he moved and he's just rocking it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, he said he missed us too. Just so if anybody's listening and you're not, we're not just like, uh, stalking Russ Pate. So, Oh, he quit that job for that course. 
Okay, gotcha. We got it. Okay. Rust paint's awesome. P-A-T-E, if anybody's looking, listening. Okay, so let's move. Um, so how do you not get bogged down? Because this kind of goes with this, what we're talking about. And with um, and not comparing yourself. So how do you, Peter Del Tondo, do that? And then, um, and really, but still really strive to be the best version of yourself. So go. Yeah, um, I think part of that is, for me, it, it is playing to my strengths and, and knowing that part of that is, is delegating and collaborating with people. So, uh, you know, for example, I, I think Jarrett and I are really strong on the UX side. I mean, obviously we're good designers too, but um, I think Corey and David, like edges out there, not to, not to like compare, but we're, you know, sort of comparing. Um, but it's the synergy that we get when we work together. I mean, a lot of times Corey and Jarrett, they'll sit on Screen Hero for, um, for hours just working together. And instead of separating out and siloing, they, they jump in and together, you know, they combine awesome design from ideas from both and then UX stuff. And, you know, I'll jump on with Jared on calls and we'll just hash out every idea that doesn't work for an hour to maybe circle back to where we originally were and go, okay, then we figured out everything that can't possibly work. So it has to be this solution. And those kind of conversations are really important. And, you know, David and I are working together on a project right now. And there's certain design challenges. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So why don't you run with this one and we'll keep throwing out ideas together and I'll focus on this part. Um, and I, I do the same thing when I freelance. I, I generally don't like to work by myself. So I'll involve, you know, a, a developer or a branding person or another web designer. And it technically means a little bit less money in my pocket, but if we come up with a better solution together, that's, it's more fun for me. And I think, you know, ultimately you want to give the client the, the best possible uh, product. But it's also about having a good relationship with Jared or having a good relationship with who you're working with, who, mm -hmm. who you know is going to be able to tell you seriously what is wrong and how you can fix it. And you not being sensitive to, um, you know, being like, oh my gosh, she just hates me. Like it, that it's really, they're trying to make you stronger and better. Yeah. And I think it's really important, um, to to recognize what your strengths are and your weaknesses like when we just did employee reviews recently and i asked everybody i'm like okay what's the thing that you feel like you're weakest at and want to improve most right now because i need to know where you feel like you're falling short so i can work with you and help improve and build that up and mm -hmm. at the same time a combination of like let give people things that play to their strengths but also giving them things that like put them in an uncomfortable position to where they have to, uh, you know, kind of rise to the occasion and do some things that are a little out of their comfort zone. Right. So uh, Jarrett said, check your ego at the door before you come to Masio. So how, so granted you're able to like kill or not kill, we're not killing anybody, but uh, you're able to like cut that one out. Like if, if it does have, there's too much ego, but it's also, it's really important to also be confident. So there's a difference between being, between being cocky and confident. Confident is, hey, I'm going to tell you when I don't know something, but I do have strong opinions in blank, blank, and blank, right? So how do you tell the difference? Um, Daniel, just, I'm not going to read it, but it says a bad thing. I kind of feel like it's one of those things where 
I don't know, you ever like look at somebody's Facebook profile and you just like feel like you know that person? It's that same kind of thing. You just jump on a call right away and you just get this vibe. And like we, we like to do this thing where all of us are on the call when we interview somebody and nobody says anything. And then generally what will happen is we'll kind of like all blindly give our feedback on it and you'll, you'll quickly realize everybody had that same like impression. And you know, we, we have like a, a veto system. If anybody says no, like that's it, it doesn't fit. Um, so, you know, we work really hard to find the right people. And I think that's why we keep people really long because we have good people. Good. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, um, all right. So let's go to project management a little bit. So, uh, as a freelancer, cause a lot of people who listen are doing side projects. Mm -hmm. How do you, um, know when you have to say, Hey, I can't do this yet, or I can't do this right now. And so that you're not just taking on, taking on, taking on. Um, so yeah. really the question was, um, how, how do you, your, some of your strengths, because this is one of your strengths, is not taking on too many projects at once. And um, how do you think knowing that your strengths, knowing your strengths plays into your ability to know how many projects to take on at once? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's really, it's kind of delicate, and it's something I think everybody has to learn for themselves over time. Um, and you kind of have to fail at it a couple times to realize what you need to do differently. Uh, and, and that was something I, I learned a long time ago. I mean, when I ran my own company, I would not have been a good freelance or not, not been a good remote employee at the time. I had to work through a lot of things with that. Like why? Um, like what did you have to work through? Uh, a lot of it was with my wife, like, uh, just things that, Oh, I'm working from home. So I can go to the grocery store or I can do the laundry or clean the house. Like I can, but if I'm working at an office somewhere, I wouldn't be able to. So why should I now do that in the middle of my workday? And you realize like it, it resulted in me working for three hours and then I'd have to work at night and then I'd sacrifice the family time. And, you know, yeah. So we just, we have to work through stuff like that or, or communicate, you know, even now if I take on a, a side project that, Hey, I'm going to work late this night or I'm going to, you know, get up early and do work this day or whatnot. Um, and I actually, I turned off freelance for about two years. I, I just didn't take on any projects and I recently turned it back on. So I still like to bring everything through Masio because I feel like as a team we can, you know, do cooler things and, and, um, uh, uh it's fun working with them. But if we have projects that like don't meet our minimum or aren't a fit for the type of work we want to do, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I still want to help people out and my family and I are trying to save, uh, you know, for stuff. So, uh, I've had to figure out how to balance that so that I don't affect obviously my work performance and, and whatnot. And what I've learned works best is basically doing like a calendar block schedule. So I'll put it up on the calendar and I know, if I'm going to work six hours over the weekend and I work uh, two afternoons for a chunk of like two hours, I basically have like 10 hours a week and it's going to take me X amount of weeks to finish a project. And so I'll, I have that on a calendar blocked out and I know that I can't start a new project plus or minus maybe a week until that is completed. And so that helps me space stuff out and time things to, to know that I'm not going to get you know, over exhausted and lose my mind and not sleep. Um, I, I'm very, very careful with that, that like my work never affects my family. Um, so one of the other, what? I said I could go crazy and just kind of like throw that caution to the wind, but I, I, 
that's not my priority. So one of the last things that I want to talk about that was in um, kind of when we were talking about this the other day was how you, um, they prepay, right? People are mm -hmm. prepaying per week. So if they aren't paid, then you are not going to do work. that work. So can you talk right. a little bit about that? Because I think that was really interesting. And I was like, oh, well, don't you feel like they have to, people have to, work up to that point, have, you know, freelance business for a long time before they can do that. And you said no. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think some people like as you're just starting out, you know, sometimes if your concern is more getting some work to show, go for it. But I think ultimately if somebody's going to hire you because you're a professional and because you are, um, you know, the expert that they're coming to for something, you have to remember that they're not your employer. Like you are your own boss in that regard and you have to set your terms of how you work. And I've had companies or, or people that have come to me and say, Oh, that doesn't work. I want to do this instead. And it's like, okay, I don't work for you. That's, that's not, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not going to go spend two weeks of my life working on something. And then I have no guarantee if you're going to pay or whatever. So, uh, you know, I always do a deposit up front and then, you know, I'll, build kind of like a retainer model, whether that's weekly or monthly or whatnot. Uh, I always make sure that that's up front. That way I'm never at risk for, you know, working. And then I can't put food on the table for my family because somebody didn't honor their end of the bargain. So, you know, I've got contracts and all that, but you, you gotta, you gotta get that stuff up front. It's really important. And I think clients will respect you more when you have your process laid out rather than this kind of like, Oh, don't worry about it. I know you're two weeks late on your invoice, but I'm going to keep going and it never works well. So, well, and actually you have it in your invoice or, you know, we all should, if, if you've missed a payment, then you're going to be charged a late fee and maybe right. you, them, uh, you grant them once you say, okay, yep. well, once you did it, but then at some point you're like, well, I told you last time I was, um, I gave you that freebie last time, but now you're going to start paying. And I think maybe sometimes we don't hold hold their feet to the fire in that regards. Um, so there's another question I want to make sure we ask. So do you have yeah. Any? I mean, I think you, you need to judge each of those situations like on a per case basis. But again, I think when you hold your ground, it's not a matter of like just being stubborn or anything, but when you, when you're a professional and you work a certain way, if you said this was going to happen, like you're late the first time. Okay. Not a problem. Just know next time. This is how it works. And then if they have some silly excuse for it, like it's, it's no, I'm sorry, but this, I now have to put extra time into my invoicing because I have to follow up with you. I have to like reissue the invoice or whatnot. Like that's essentially what that penalty is for. Um, and you know, I think it's important to, to honor that. Otherwise, I feel like we get that bad rap sometimes of freelance that we're not like actual people or employ you know or, or workers, but like we get taken advantage of. And and I think it's important to when it's right to stand your ground on certain things. Absolutely, yeah. Freelance doesn't mean free. Anne says. So Kim asked, "May I ask how was the interview process?" So this is the interview process with Masio. Meaning, mm -hmm. did you have an interview on location via phone, Skype? And she said, sorry, it was late, but it wasn't late. You're great. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, my interview process, all of them, the guys were really patient with me because apparently my computer hard drive was failing. And so I had to keep rebooting like six times in the middle of my interview and I was freaking oh, out. No. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, the way we do it, I mean, we uh, we have a system on Workable, and we, we go through all of our applications, and you know, kind of ask them the upfront questions we want to know. And again, you know, I just jump in there every time I see. I actually saw one come in during the, the thing, so after this, I'm going to go look at it. I'm going to look at the portfolio and, and see if that's something that I feel is the caliber of work that we look for, our style and all that. And then uh, if that's a fit, then I'll read what the person's name is <laughs> and uh, go check out their resume and, and all those other details. And uh, if it's something that we think is a good fit for us, we'll schedule a call. And uh, we generally do that over Google Hangouts and uh, have the whole team you know, weigh in on that person and how we think we get along. And, how they fit in and you know if all the stars align we'll bring them on board right cool well I, I just think it's good to know and I also think that you know people can look for other companies there are um, uh, places that actually do a lot of remote work and so it's just about finding the right team so Brian says he dropped a 32 ounce coffee right when I went to shake a potential client's hand on their shoes a few years ago, but he still got the job. Then um, Travis said, so that's a strategy. Um, so I'm not sure if I'd use that one, but, um, but I do think it doesn't matter. Even if, I mean, six times to upload your or restart your computer, that would be sucky for sure. But Brian says, just be yourself. And I agree. Right. So that's one of the things I think you've learned over those years is, is stand up for what you need and then and be honest about what you know and what you don't know and know that you'll be able to to give them, you know, you'll be able to deliver. It has nothing to do with the delivery. It's just that you didn't know right then, I guess. What, yeah, I, mean. I mean, more or less, like, I mean, on our call, I remember when I interviewed it's like hey here's my work let's look at it for a second we we do like to put people on a spot where they do have to like talk about and and sort of present their work because we want to see how they do those kind of things but you know ultimately we've already vetted your work quality it, it is more about what the personal relationship is like and um you know it doesn't always mean we're gonna get it correct either you know we we, we might bring someone on board and realize like hey this isn't gonna work out and you know things change but um, for the most part, it's really helped us to, to hire the right people. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Kent wants to know, do they do their, port do you, I guess, look at their portfolio first or the, then their resume or vice versa? Um, def I don't, I don't look at the person's uh, name, gender, resume, anything until I look at the portfolio. That's the first thing. I like literally skim past everything, go to their journal page or their, uh, online portfolio and I check that out and if that isn't enough to you know entice us to want to talk further I move them to the you know the sorry bin <laughs> um, and uh, and go from there it's it's really all about the the performance and quality you know at Masio we we find a lot of our clients actually come to us because uh, they they love our work and our style and it's kind of like, Hey, can you make us look like that? And so you know, first and foremost, that's, that's what we want to meet is that high level of design and, and user experience. So uh, yeah, straight to straight to the portfolio and then work backwards from everything else. 
So we've given Masia a lot of shout outs today. So I want to make sure everybody knows how to get to get to their website. And it's M-O-S-S-I-O.co. And I'm going to put it over there in the chat, but for anybody listening, they'll be able to oh, never mind, Jason already did it. And then they also are on, I guess, Twitter and Instagram at Masio D-O-T, like dot C-O. So Masio.co on Instagram and Twitter as well. But people can find you, right, Peter? Yes, if you guys want to go check out my stuff too, uh, it's peterdeltondo.com, Peter Deltondo on Dribble, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, a bunch of other social networks that I probably struggle to keep up with. So great. So thank you. You super helpful. Um, any last minute tips on just project management? So the calendar block system, knowing how long something takes you? Um, you know, again, I think that's one of those things that just takes experience. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I always time my, my projects uh, at all times, um, even if it's a freelance project, a, a work thing, because I, I want to know how long it takes so I can kind of average that down the road. Like, oh, homepage is going to take X amount of hours or about page this, contact page this. That way when we go to quote out new projects, it, it's kind of rapid fire and you just figure out what the, the scope of work and deliverables are and you know roughly what it's going to take. Um, so you just, you got to get in there and, and do it. It's, it's hard the first couple of times. So what are you doing to track your time? How, how do you do it by paper pen or are you using an app? Yeah, I use harvest. Uh, that's what? kind of been my harvest harvest. Oh, uh -huh. yeah, I thought you said hard that's... list and I was like, oh. no, no. <laughs> uh, harvestapp.com I think is, is the link. Um, yeah, that's, that's been really good for me because you know, I can go back and like look through the reports and kind of see the breakdown of different pages of what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been really good. Cool. And, you know, other than that, I mean, just find, find the tools that work for you. I think every agency probably uses different things, uh, but uh, find what works, find what works for your clients and then just keep, keep doing your thing. And also one of the, one of your superpowers is really lifting other people up and giving and so maybe this is a, a good strength at Masio as well, that everybody's kind of like this, that you're part of a team, that everybody feels part of the team, but they also, you know, everybody's going to be honest and they're not always going to have the best days. So when they're having a downtime, being encouraging. And I think that that's uh, one of your strengths for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... I don't know. I feel like I surround myself with people like that. Like everybody at creative South is like that too. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff on Facebook recently and like somebody got bad feedback or didn't like this. And you just watch like the whole community kind of come around them and say, no, your work is awesome and keep doing what you're doing. Don't listen to people. Uh, people are cool. People are, are amazing. And you know, I think if you, if you surround yourself with the right people, you keep that positive mindset. So, you know, just, ditch away from things that aren't going to push you further and, uh, you know, focus on what's important. That's so true. And Jared said you're a cuddler. So I guess dancing and cuddling, cause they've been talking about your dance skills. I'm not sure if that was a joke or not, but I have hugged you. So you're a good hugger. So, <laughs> um, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's just important to be able to lift other people up. Right. And really it's about surrounding yourself with people. So if you maybe are more negative or, or hear yourself or maybe go look at your Facebook posts and see what somebody else might see, right? If you're super cocky or if you're just 
super bitchy or just complaining all the time. You know, it's, it's, it is the things you share. It is the things that you lift you up that kind of talk, talk about your personality. And especially if you're working remotely, you know, what would you not want someone to see? What? To say, uh, sorry, I'm reading the chat. What did you call me? Whatever. I don't know what I <laughs> Right? Anyway, back to Peter. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, I don't know. Now you're not saying anything. It's like, oh, oh I wasn't sure if I was supposed to like go off on that one. <laughs> All right. I was hoping you would help me change the subject. Oh, um, family is really important. You know, work's cool, but family's family is the uh, the ultimate motivator, and I get lifted up by them. My daughter gives me like giant hugs when I get home now, so that's like the greatest thing in the world. And um, yeah, right. Okay, well, that I think those are good. I I think um, having Kelly to be supportive and not just have to do the laundry, right? That that's been another uh, a good thing about getting out of the office as well, and just having understanding of that when I go home, it is, you know, my whole family's time. And I, I think that that's smart to be able to do close that door. Yeah. It's nice. Cause like when I, when I do work later, if I, I'm kind of shifting. If I, if I have extra work to do, I, I think I'm starting to move towards a morning schedule. That way it doesn't affect time, uh, you know, lost in the evenings with my family. But I try to, as much as possible, I leave my computer here at the office. Um, you know, I try to turn off all my notifications on my phone and stuff like that. It's just, it's really important to, to detach, you know, work and life and have that balance. And, um, you know, I try to get home and I spend time with them and I don't think about other things as much as possible. Right. Well, good. Um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, I need to do more of not taking it home, but it's hard because you, know, just... <laughs> you love what you do. So, I mean, we think about it. Like everybody in this chat room, everybody that's listening, more or less, we do adult arts and crafts for a living. Like I, it, my job is literally like digital mac and cheese plates, sort of like art and stuff. So, I mean, we're all pretty fortunate, and it, it is hard to like go home and not want to do that more because it's it's sort of what we do for fun too. I can take a break. And that's what I want to spend an hour doing, and uh, it. It takes a while, I think, to learn how to just shut that off completely and and separate. Um, yeah. And especially if you have a problem and you're trying to solve it, like it doesn't leave if you go to the take a shower, if you go on a walk, like it's always there. And sometimes it just comes to you, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I've got to go try this," you know, to see if it actually works. Um, yeah, I think I have that. Like, my, that's probably one thing my wife and I like once in a while. That's the closest we'll come to fighting is like, I want to go over to my computer because I have this idea and I just need to like execute it or get it out there or put it down before I forget. And, uh, you know, so I have to remember, like, I'm, I'm not working right now. I, I like write it down in a field notes or something and come back to it later. Right. For sure. All right. Well guys, I just want to, Peter, thank you so much. So, um, I always am, thankful to have you on. I'm really glad you're my friend. Somebody else posted a question, so I always like to make sure I get those. Um, hang on a second. Let's see. I, oh, Kim says, I love what I do. I may not be the best, and I may not be the worst. So, amen. I hear you. And you know what, Kim? Brian White and I are going to talk about some of that um, in a few weeks. I can't remember what day it, that is, Brian. If, you can, if you're in the chat and you still want to talk about, say that 
whatever day you're coming on. Because Brian has a lot. I mean, man, he's amazing too. And so I just, I think we're going to talk about that. So make sure you come to that one. Yeah. One more thing on that with comparison is it's, it's easy to think about it from the standpoint that there's somebody that you look up to, but you always have to remember that there's somebody else that looks up to you, whether or not you like think about that or realize that you are an expert to somebody else. And it's kind of like this beautiful little circle. Absolutely. And I think it's important to find someone to mentor as well as someone to mentor you. So yeah. someone to be your mentor, but then someone also that you can mentor because I really, really do believe. And it is, it's good. Like Matt Wally has helped me a ton. Brian White has helped me a ton when I get stuck on something. And it's just really, it's good to have those people. So Daniel says, who's your mentor, Peter? Oh, I have a ton of mentors. Um, I think I have different people for all different kind of things. Like I, I always look at it like it's, it's like a Knights of the Round Table and you know, for this kind of thing, I go to that person. Uh, I still learn a ton from, I mean, Corey, Jarrett, Matt, Lenny, um, Rob, uh, you know, it, there's always somebody that is going to teach you great things or that you never thought of. And also when you start mentoring and teaching somebody else, I think you learn a lot as well. Um, and that's really important because yeah, you just, you always have to keep growing. As soon as you stop, you become a dinosaur. Absolutely, for sure. Okay, so let me tell you guys about what next week is. And no dinosaurs for sure, because you do have to keep learning. And that is what keeps us youthful and it keeps us um, continuing to get clients. So next week, I'm doing something different. So normally, I would take the first week of school off because it's a little crazy. And being interim chair is even crazier on top of all that. So I can use prayers if people are praying people. Um, but next week I decided to do something um, and I'm doing, you know, I'm AIGA. And so I, uh, it's like the professional organization for designers, good community to belong to and they're local, but it's a national organization and there's something called emerge week. I know this is probably backwards. Is it backwards or is it just to me? It's backwards. Just to you. It's backwards. Okay. So, um, Anyway, this is, so I'm having four designers on and um, some I know from Creative South and then some I don't. So um, one is Amy Schwartz. Is, she calls herself, um, oh, who, what was it? She's, it was really clever and like a design troublemaker. That's what it was. And she works for Cards Against, or Cards Against Humanities. No. Is that what it is? Anyway, I'm totally butchering this, but um, Cards Against Humanity. Anyway, she's the dire design director there. And so Emerge is about emerging designers, people who have been not in the field yet, zero to five years. And I'm kind of breaking it a little bit because I'm having Jordan Wong and he's been out six years. But um, Casey Brabs, who I know from Creative South, she's going to be on. She's been out for a year. Heath Fester, he's uh, one of our AIGA board members at Immobile. He's been out for five months, maybe. No, not even, like three months. Um, and then I don't know how long Amy's been out, but she's, um, it's within the zero to five years. So it's really a, some things kind of busting some of the um, stereotypes of, hey, uh, you have to figure, you have to know everything, you have to tell people. And I really do believe that 
everything isn't always perfect. People don't get a job straight out. and It's harder to do sometimes. And what should you do? So we're going to be talking about all those things. Um, some of the things we're going to talk about is just about getting jobs, about continuing to, to grow. Um, definitely about community and being a leader about being an entrepreneur and just some of those life skills, those soft skills that we've been talking about today. So it's actually a good kind of uh, combo. So it's going to be a panel. None of them know each other. So it'll be the first time I've had people on that didn't know each other. So I'm just going to act as like a um, moderator and I'm going to ask four or five questions and then they may or not all answer all of them, but that's what it's going to be about next week. So Jordan Wong, Heath Vester, those are our guys. And then we've got a, Girls to guy ratio, 50-50. We got Amy Schwartz and Casey Brabs. So I'm excited. I hope you guys come and support them. And so there will be multiple promos going out. And if anybody gives me good feedback on what I can do to make those better, I so appreciate it. Because, again, I'm totally learning. And it is a little scary when you're learning to put stuff out there. But I just feel like, hey, you know what? you got to just start somewhere. Because you know who really taught me that? Bob Ewing. He just started putting stuff out there. He is. Put stuff out there, and now look where he is now. But he just, he did it, and so I'm just doing it too. So some people might be like, you should stop doing that, Diane. But, oh, well, that's what I'm doing. So I hope you guys will come same time next week. If you sign up for the email, you'll get the um You'll get the questions early, and thank you guys for emailing me back. Everybody who did email me back, I really appreciate it. So, um, thank you guys, and I'm super excited um, that we got to have you, Peter. So, thank you, and I can't wait to see you at Creative South in April. It's getting closer every day. Yep, and if anybody's in Orange County, come see uh, Design Disruptors tomorrow evening in uh, in Irvine. We're going to go see the, the screening, so that's going to be really cool. Cool. Awesome. All right, guys, thank you so much, and I will see you next week.